Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. I am thrilled, you know, with the uh, guests that we have today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, going to market, product market fit, brand positioning, you know, revenue, being a category builder, you know, all the challenges that come, you know, with that, the ups and downs, you name it. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Alexandra Saturain. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So originally born in Mexico, in Tijuana. So uh, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? It was great. I, I really always remember my childhood with amazing memories. I was very lucky to grow up in a household that had a father who was an entrepreneur who came from Sinaloa in Mexico, built his own life with very little education. A mother who was a uh, professional, she was a, a doctor. And having that sort of balance of just, you know, parents that have to go out there and build their businesses every day. And that's a lot of where I learned to be the person I am today. And Tijuana was such a great place. Contrary to what many people may believe, it was a great place to grow up in the 90s. Or maybe I was just very privileged to grow up in a great environment while I was there. And I got the exposure of being so close to American culture as well. So a lot of my dreams professionally were always geared towards one day coming over to the United States. Yeah, because, I mean, when you are talking about Sinaloa, uh, Tijuana, obviously it's tough not to think about, you know, the lack of security, the craziness with what's happening with the cartel. So, I mean, did you did you experience any type of, I don't know, uncertainty around that? How was how was like grow, how was like growing up with with that type of environment? Yes, I think everyone who grows up in places like this, your life is touched in some way or another. And sometimes it's the small things like you just learn to grow up where you have to uh, or you want to know, right, who are your friends, where they're coming from, what do their parents do for a living? And, you know, like just little things like that, that for us seemed so normal growing up, but you realize that they're not and they shouldn't be and we shouldn't normalize them. But, you know, how you build your homes, how you protect your properties and all of these things. Um, thankfully, it was never anything that hit us in a major way. Um, but it, it is certainly something that permeates through society and everyone can feel it, especially as time has gone by, it has become worse. Yeah, no, I hear you. Now, having your dad an entrepreneur, you know, you have it, you have it in you. So how was like growing up also being able to experience, you know, him, you know, there uh, embracing the struggles, the ups, the downs. So how, how was it for you to, to be able to see that? Yeah, I, what I learned really seeing my dad go through his own journey and the good times and also the bad times, because at some point he had to shut down his business, um, was that entrepreneurship gives you the opportunity to, in a way, control your own destiny, right? You build your own path, uh, but it also comes with a lot of risk. And when I was seeing him growing up, I never thought that I would become an entrepreneur. It's not something that I aspired to. It's not something I really considered. Um, but I did like the fact that, you know, he, he really had to work really hard. He had to build his own path. He could figure things out. Um, and my mom had to do the same. And so I think that's what you learn when you grow up in a household where you have parents that are business owners. So I guess, uh, did you at that point, you know, when you were experiencing that, you know, were you like, I want to be an entrepreneur one day? 
I never thought about it, not even once. That's incredible. And now I know that uh, for you coming to New York was quite a quite a career shift, quite a life changing experience too. You know, I'm sure it was shocking because you know New York is New York. I'm sure that a little bit different from what you were you know used to in Tijuana. So uh, how was how was that change like? How was like arriving you know in the land of opportunity? I absolutely loved living in New York and lived there for around 10 years. When I was growing up, I always wanted to move to to New York. And it was, I think, a place that many of us see in movies and, and TV shows. And for me, it, it was very appealing to see that level of energy and to, to be and feel at the center of the world. So when I had the chance to move there after college, um, it, it was just obviously I, I took the opportunity and it was very intentional, right? I, if I wanted to make it happen, I had to find a job. My parents couldn't just support my move and get, pay my rent for months on end. So I applied to so many jobs and, you know, I was still in college and I, it's very hard to get interviews because I was in school in Mexico and I, I just really wanted to get a job because I wanted to move there and at least kick things off. And I knew that eventually I could build my career towards where I wanted to, but um, it, it is, I think, like many people, when you're young, you, you have to make it happen and scrap things together to get where you want to go. Absolutely. Now, for you, when when you you know took on your studies, it was it's very interesting because you studied politics, business, communications. So it's like a very interesting intersection of all like the different things that are very useful when building a business. So why did you study those three things? Why combining them, you know, as part of your, you know, uh, degrees? It probably goes back to what I wanted to originally do. So you were asking me whether I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never thought about really becoming an entrepreneur, but I was really passionate about communications, crisis communications, politics, and all sort of communications related to politics. So when I went to school, I went to get a degree in international communications, but um, I did complement that with with many courses and even summers that I did at other universities um, with courses around politics and business, because that's what I wanted to to do originally. Um, then business sort of came through out of nowhere and the opportunity to be a founder in a tech company came a bit out of nowhere. But that was originally where my path was going. And to your point, it became really valuable to what I do today. So you, once you graduated, you actually took um, a few roles at PR firms. So what have you learned about storytelling? Why is it so important? It is such a critical tool. And it starts with one thing. And I've actually been reading a book by a friend. The book's coming up in, in June. Um, Polina Marinova, she wrote this book called Hidden Genius. And she has an entire chapter on storytelling and how uh, people of great success use storytelling as a tool for their own achievements. And it starts from the stories that you tell to yourself. So when you learn that sort of art and science of storytelling, you can also shape the stories you're telling yourself every single day. Whether your days are going well or they're going badly, it can really motivate you and propel you forward if you know how to use storytelling to put yourself in the right mindset. And then second to that, how do you use storytelling, especially as an entrepreneur, to sell your vision? And you need to sell your vision to yourself every day. You need to motivate yourself to keep working on what you're working on, right? Because days are going to be tough, but you also need to sell them to hire great employees, to bring on investors, right? You're constantly selling that vision. So that's where the storytelling comes in. And, and that's something we've learned at Eight Sleep that we have both done badly and also learned how to do well. It takes time. Not everyone has the ability to distill the story of the why and 
the long-term vision of their company in a very concise way when you're just starting out. So when you were, you know, actually doing these different jobs and you were at this, say, you know, some of those fintech companies too, eventually the opportunity of eight sleep, you know, comes knocking. So how did this happen? How did you meet the co-founders? How do you become a co-founder? And uh, how do you guys think about also bringing this to life? Because you even had to leave your job, move to San Francisco. So that's quite, uh, you know, taking a leap of faith there, especially if this was your first uh, company. Yeah, it was definitely a huge risk. And I think at the time, honestly, I was maybe just more naive. And I think sometimes being naive plays to your advantage because the more you know, the the more risk averse you become. Um, the opportunity came around because Mateo, who's actually my co-founder, but also my husband, he's our CEO at Eight Sleep. We've been together for like 12 years now. And we had been, while we were living in New York, starting to embed ourselves into the like nascent tech ecosystem. At the time, if you think about like 2012, 2013, all those years, New York was booming. There was a startup alley. Everyone wanted to build startups and kind of recreate the success of Silicon Valley in New York City. So outside of our jobs and he had been an entrepreneur a couple of times before. So now outside of his time building his company and then me having my regular nine to five job, we would go to all these events and meet all these people and try to understand what is happening in tech. What is tech? How do you build a startup? We had absolutely no idea. So we had been experimenting with a few ideas for some years. We would do things on the weekends, the two of us together with the very bare bones capabilities that we had to like build a website and, you know, try to come up with ideas of products. And at some point in that journey, uh, we met Massimo, who's our other co-founder and our chief technology officer. And we started to try to convince Max to build some things with us. And he's a great guy. We got along, right? And that's where the journey as founders started, getting to know each other and working together. And then it was around 2014 when Matteo started looking into sleep. What he realized is he started struggling with his sleep. He has a, a condition called restless leg syndrome. And um, that was hurting his ability to get good sleep. But at the same time, he was thinking, well, how can I optimize my time of sleep? And it was just this sort of insight where he realized that there were no products in the market that could help him optimize his sleep, both to sleep better and eventually be able to sleep less and get just enough quality sleep that we all need every night. And that's where it started. It was that, that moment for him and that realization. He started talking to some friends. Um, he comes from a background where he grew up as an athlete in Italy. And so he went to some friends that were athletes that were doing that professionally. How do you manage your sleep? How do you manage your recovery? And he's realized there was an opportunity that there were people out there who were already kind of optimizing it, but there was not a lot of knowledge. There was not a lot of products that could help. And that's how it came around. He actually started building the prototype with Massimo initially. Max is an engineer. And so they created this prototype. And then they, at some point they told me, well, do you want to help us like put together a little presentation? We want to show this to some friends at a dinner, see what they think. And that kicked it off is the, the famous uh, pajama party that we talk about as the inception story for Date Sleep. They hosted a pajama party at Massimo's house in San Francisco. And a friend of theirs said, well, this looks like it has some opportunity in the market. It's promising. I'll give you a check. I think it was like $25,000. You know, the Silicon Valley story where people and angel investors just for some reason feel compelled to support entrepreneurs. And that's what got them thinking, oh, okay, maybe, maybe we should actually do this full time and see where it goes. And that was the beginning of 2014. And eventually they decided to ask me if I wanted to more formally join them, leave my job in New York, move to San Francisco and get it done. And, and that's what happened. That's incredible. Now, 
what ended up being the business model of Eight Sleep for the people that are listening to get it? How do you guys make money? Yeah. So what do we do? We develop technology to help people sleep better. And we have hardware technology and software technology. So we really are a consumer business. We sell you products. You come to our website, 8sleep.com. You can buy our technology and you use it every day. You buy the hardware that you install on any bed. So you put our sensor layer or what we call the pot cover on your mattress. And then you pay a membership every year. So you have this plan where every year you're paying $180 a year for all of the intelligence and the services that the product provides. That intelligence is what is actually tracking your sleep and your health, how you sleep, how long your sleep faces, your heart rate at rest, respiratory rate, heart rate variability, all of these trends that are very valuable to see how your sleep and health is doing over time. But then also managing the temperature through that information in real time to make sure that you're always at the perfect temperature that you need to get optimal sleep. So it cools down and warms up your side of the bed to whatever you need to sleep at your best. You know, one thing that comes to mind here is there's this book called The Founder's Dilemma. You know, it's a, it's a great book. And I've built a company with, uh, with my wife, you know, in the past. And, uh, you know, obviously you need separate levels of communication, I would say. And, you know, in that book, if for the people that are listening, you know, it goes in one of the chapters on how you really need to have this incredible level of communication because tough love is important when you're building a company. And in many instances where you're building a, a company with like a family member or something like that, you don't want to really give the actual feedback because you don't want to hurt each other's feelings. And I think that at the end of the day, that, you know, creates ineffectiveness. So how have you guys gone about, you know, those dynamics too? I think that the way that we do it and the reason why it has been successful is because we are willing to give each other that tough love and that tough feedback, primarily because we understand, and not just between Mateo and I, but even with, with Massimo, right? The relationship with founders, whether you're family or not, is really complicated. Um, but we all understand that every time that we're speaking to each other, giving feedback or getting mad with each other or disagreeing comes from a place of wanting the best for the business and wanting the best for us as individuals. We are helping each other grow and become our best so that we can continue leading the company. And that, I think you need that level of honesty with each other. You need to be able to talk about that and to feel that everyone is in it for the same reasons and towards the same goal. And that will maintain that relationship in a healthy state. What I've experienced, and even when I've seen other couples work together in companies or siblings, you know, or best friends, what I've seen is that it can actually be a huge asset particularly if you are able to work in that in that transparency in the communication because especially with couples sometimes no one knows you best in the world than your partner so you can use that to your advantage where you know exactly what's the best way to challenge them to give them that feedback to give them that idea to suggest them to adjust right because you know them you know which buttons to push and if you're both with the same intention and we want the same goal, you can use that to push the right buttons and get each of you as individuals to be your best. And as a result, your business will get the best out of you. I love that. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone 
is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. I mean, for me, the importance of sleep, it's a, I mean, I really take sleep seriously. I mean, I, for example, I had a, last year a concussion, you know, playing soccer. And as a result of that, I realized how sleep would impact the way that I could recover, you know, faster from, from the symptoms that I was dealing with. Uh, also, I had a founder here. Uh, we actually published the episode, you know, a few weeks ago. And he talked about how his co-founder pushed him to sleeping and how that, uh, you know, really helped with depression, with uh, being more productive, you know, with the different initiatives that they had, because it's very highly demanding to be the founder of a hyper-growth company that is venture-backed. So why is sleep so important? It is the most important pillar of health. I think people don't realize that. Sleep is the most fundamentally important pillar of health. You would die sooner of sleep deprivation than food deprivation. That is just how much your system needs it every single day. And it needs it in the proper doses. And it's hard to recover when you haven't got the right amount of sleep or quality of sleep for many days in a row. So we forget about it maybe because while we're doing it, we're not really conscious. And so we don't realize everything that's happening in our bodies, but it's truly fundamental. And particularly to your point of being a founder or being an entrepreneur or being a high performing individual or someone who wants to be performing at their best, sleep is the best tool that you have in your toolkit that you should be deploying, utilizing every day to your advantage. It's going to give you the Unlock the superpowers of your brain is how I think about it. I would rather get my right amount of sleep instead of trying to squeeze in a workout and a meditation and the journaling and, you know, all the other things that people try to do nowadays with their routines. If you would only have to focus on one thing that's going to get you further with that brain performance, it's going to be a good night of sleep. I love it. Now, in this case, I mean, I, I was just really exposed to this and I keep hearing it now, you know, the importance of sleep. Growing up, you know, I didn't really hear about it that much, you know, and especially 10 or 15 years ago, it was all about like, hey, you know, hustle as much as you can, don't sleep as much. Now there's more consciousness, more awareness. Uh, also for you guys too, you guys have been a category builder, right? I think that you guys are paving, you know, really this this new path uh, with 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 this with this stuff that you guys are 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 doing. But I guess how hard is it? to be a category builder? Uh, because I know that, for example, the first years for you guys, 
of growth also were a little bit challenging. So walk us through that. Yeah, building your own category is quite challenging, particularly for startups, because, you know, your capital and your runway is like what you have against you, right? You're always sort of running against the clock uh, because you only have so much money in the bank. So it, it, building a category will take money, effort, time, but it can also be built by having a great product and a little bit of luck in timing. And I think that's where we have benefited over the last, I would say, like five years, where exactly with what you're mentioning, the conversation around sleep has changed and it has increased, especially over the last like two years. So if you find yourself in that position, then you can take that and leverage it for your business. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you're really swimming against the current, trying to get people to prioritize something or think about something or talk about a topic that they don't care about right now, the world just doesn't want to embrace. And so it will be really, really tough to build your category. And that's a little bit of what happened to us initially. The first, I would say, maybe three years of eight sleep, um, the, the world didn't care much about sleep. It wasn't something people were talking about. And little by little, there were other companies getting into the space. So there were many more of us. There were more advocates. There were more researchers talking about it. There were more athletes and celebrities starting to talk about their sleep. And so you start seeing the media stories. You start seeing best-selling books around the topic. And that is what really created the momentum around the topic. And we were able to also pair that with a moment when we decided to reposition our, our brand. That is a big moment for us in terms of the ability to build the category, you also need to be able to come in with a very unique and appealing message. You need to stand out. And that is something that we did around 2018. It was the time when we had raised, I believe, our Series B. And Keith Raboy, who was at the time with Coastal Ventures and is now at Founders Fund, um, he told us, he, he let that round for us. And he told us one day, you will have to reposition your brand because right now no one understands your vision and people just think of you as a mattress company. And if you stay there, you're not going to be able to gain success and no one's, no other investor is going to want to give you money. And when he told us that, and you know, I was overseeing marketing and so that fell on me, that was my responsibility. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I think like many entrepreneurs, you learn a lot of what you do by just doing it, right? It's not like you go to school and learn everything in a perfect course. So it was a journey even just to understand what do you mean with reposition? What do I have to do? Who do I have to talk to? And that was maybe one of the biggest unlocks for our business because we paired the momentum of what was happening and just the consumer chatter and people starting to care about sleep with our very unique message that we came through with, which is really, we are a mission-driven business. We measure our success and our ability to help people achieve sleep fitness. We created this thing that we call the sleep fitness category, and we defined ways in which our products can help you achieve sleep fitness. And so when we came in with that message very strongly, we stood out. There was no other company that was talking about sleep or selling you products in sleep that would appeal to you in that way and that would talk to you in that way about sleep and something that can be measured, prioritized, and optimized that you can use technology to your advantage. So that's where we've been able to build that category slowly of our own in our own space. And over time, we'd want to see more companies come into that category with us as well. So how much you are alluding to it with uh, Keith and, 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 the, and the different rounds that you guys have raised, how much capital has the company raised to date? Over 160 million. And how has it been also 
going from one life cycle to the next, you know, and, 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 and especially how those expectations have shifted from one round to the next with investors? Yeah, early on when you raise money, it's all about the promise, right? And the investors are willing to take some risk and to give you capital to test the market and test your hypothesis and see what you can learn and see if you can find product market fit. But as time progresses, that is not true anymore. And especially at the stage where we're at in growth, it's all about the numbers. It is 100% about just how your business is performing. What are your unit economics? What is the predictability and scalability of the channels where you're deploying money? But also in our case, there's the added complexity of innovation. So we're not just category builders in terms of the brand and, and all of the conversation around sleep, but then we also need to build our own category and literally the products that we build, there's no space in the shelves for it. If we were going to a retailer and said, oh, we make a cover with technology that you put on any bed. They don't know where to put us, right? Is it consumer electronics? Is it a health device? Is it bedding? No one knows. So we're innovating in that technology. It's proprietary technology. It has patents, right? So there's all of that R&D complexity. Um, and so that is also part of what investors value of our company. There's there's the performance in, in what consumers are paying for it and how much money we make out of every unit, but then the continuous innovation that we're able to make in our hardware and software. And also, how have you guys thought about the remote working environment? Yeah, so we actually went remote in 2020, like most companies, right? And in this year, I would say probably more towards the end of last year is when we started being a bit more hybrid, meaning we have two main hubs, uh, one in San Francisco and one in New York. And those hubs are very necessary for us. And there's people in the team that go there almost every day because we build physical products. So it's easier to keep a remote organization. Maybe you're primarily software-based or you're doing a lot of things around marketing or operations or finance, but we build hardware products too. And they're pretty complex. And so there's a lot of prototyping. There's a lot of testing, a lot of QA. Um, and so those hubs exist for that purpose, for these teams to get together. There's also you know, the, the clinical research part, which is a new function that we um, added to the business last year. That's in-house now. And so the team that needs to get together and actually they run clinical tests with individuals on our product so that we're able to demonstrate the efficacy of our technology and how it influences your sleep. So we, we're a bit of sort of that hybrid right now with always that mentality that is remote first and people can live anywhere. And that's allowed us to attract tremendously talented people from all over the world over the last three years. So what kind of products do you guys say have right now in store? The, one, the ones that you're thinking and, and, and also like Right now, I mean, you were alluding to that. You have you have created this hardware device. Also, it keeps the temperature, you know, of the of how you're sleeping and all of this stuff. So, can you like share with all the people that are listening? What are you currently selling? What is that? What yeah. is that hardware product? Yeah, of course. So, our signature product is called the Pod. So, if you go on our site, acing.com, you'll see us talk about the Pod. And the Pod is a technology that you can add to any bed to manage the temperature to perfection. Temperature is the number one factor that gets in the way of good night's sleep. And if managed properly, it can also be the number one sleep aid. Um, people need to actually drop their temperature, their core body temperature by a few degrees in order to fall asleep. That's just biologically what happens with our bodies. Um, but then it also plays an, a, a really big role in helping us stay asleep and achieve deeper sleep. So what we did with the pod is use that science that had already been proven and create a product that will aid you and influence how you fall asleep and, and stay asleep. 
Um, it's able to do that because it has sensors. The sensors are tracking how you're sleeping, when you're sleeping, how you're breathing, your heart rate at rest, your recovery with your HRV, your sleep phases, and using that information in real time to tweak the temperature of your side of the bed to your liking. That can be influenced by the temperature in your bedroom, the local weather, all of these other things. It's taking into account all of those metrics. So there's all of that sort of machine learning in, in the back end. There is the experience of the product. When you get in bed, you actually feel the difference in the temperature. And then when you wake up, you'll be able to see the difference it made in your sleep because you wake up to a full detailed sleep and health report. Have you seen like uh, the pre and post uh, of someone using ate sleep, like what was the impact that they experienced when they started using ate sleep? Yes, yes, we've seen that. So the technology in the pod has been proven to improve sleep quality by up to 32%, also wow. give people up to 34% more deep sleep and an increase of around 19% in your recovery measured by your HRV. And that's because of that microclimate that it's creating personalized to you so that you never feel too hot or too cold. And that's going to allow you actually fall asleep faster and stay asleep in a deeper state. And I know that this varies per person, but what is the ideal time of sleep, you know, of, of someone? The length of sleep should be around like seven to nine hours. And that's based on what we know today about sleep. That's another thing we talk often about at Eight Sleep, which is we know a lot based on what has been able to be studied so far about sleep. But the reality is that it's been really hard to run really large scale, fully representative studies about how humans sleep, uh, mainly because of lack of the technology. But products like Eight Sleep and other sort of wearables that are entering the market, right, um, are going to allow us to actually see that and to understand what do we really need? How does that differ as we age, as we go through, you know, even backgrounds and where you live in the world and all of these things, um, it's much more probably personalized than we think right now. The standards and the recommendations around sleep are are very much black and white, but I think over the next 10 years, we'll be able to discover much more. So Alexandra, let's say you were to go to sleep tonight, you know, since we're talking about sleep, you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of eight sleep is fully realized. What does that world look like? It is a world where, one, everyone is getting great sleep every night. So that means we'll all be happier, healthier, in better moods and not cranky with each other and not starting fights and fully energized. So even just that is a big plus. But second, our full vision is going to enable for people to stay on top of their health while they sleep. Um, what we have envisioned is that the bed is actually going to be turned into a preventative health device. When you go to bed, it will be like going and getting a health checkup. And that health checkup can be as in-depth as you want it to be, depending on the night, or it can be more superficial. Today, the pod already tracks your heart rate at rest, your heart rate variability, your respiratory rate. So if you want it, you could already see trends about what's happening with your health, about how you're recovering, about whether you're getting sick. Even though it's not a diagnosis device, the data is there. It's in your app. You can already review it. And one day it will be able to diagnose for you and it'll be able to tell you that something may be happening. But the next versions of products that is already sort of part of our vision will add even more capabilities of sensors. That could be imaging. That could be contactless ultrasound. And that is our vision is we want to be able to detect when there is something happening in your body that you should be paying attention to, whether that is things growing inside that could be cysts, that could be tumors, uh, whether there is, you know, eventually could there be technology that could tell us that there is cancer, right? Um, 
the, the sky's the limit. It all depends on what are the technologies that are already being built that we can bring into that space that is your bed and your bedroom. And people could be able to wake up with peace of mind, knowing that if something was developing, they could actually catch it early on, thanks to the hours that they're sleeping on the pod. That's amazing. Now, imagine if I put you to a time machine. I put you into a time machine and I'm able to bring you back in time, you know, back in time, maybe to that moment where, you know, you were working, you know, in different companies in New York City. And, and at this point, you know, like maybe you had the opportunity of, of sitting down with that younger self and being able to give that younger Alexandra one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I would tell her to spend much more time building a strong network of really smart people. That has been undoubtedly the most valuable asset um, for the company is the people that you're able to surround yourself with either to hire or to go for advice um, or to bring on as investors. Um, the network is really important. And I think especially when we're young, we don't realize that it's not just about your friends that maybe you love to spend time with, but it's who are the smartest people that you know, wherever you go, whether you were in high school, in college, in a course, and you know, your community, your neighbors, your different jobs, staying in touch with these people, being able to understand where are they really smart in which areas, where are they the best at in the world, pursuing people who are the best in the world at something, and maintaining those relationships over time will become really important for your business. And it's something I, I didn't think about at the time. I love that. So for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? On Twitter. Twitter is the best place to reach us, whether it's me or my co-founders or even Eight Sleep. Um, and yeah, we'll always love hearing from people who are in our community, whether you use our products or not, or you're thinking about them, or you just want to chat about sleep and health. I think we're always excited to talk about people who are into the space of sleep optimizations and sleep fitness. Amazing. Well, hey, Alexandra, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Of course. Thank you for the chat. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.